three, two, one. Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you you wit you could you do you wit you want you you could do so you you do you could you you want you want him to do you so much you could do anything? Oh my God. Hi. I love that clip. It's that was just, really good. Yeah. It's, it's really, I'm I basically you remembered haven't memorized. It, but... Yeah, did you have that written yeah, down? Yeah. It's pretty, uh, how did you do that? No, I just like, there's a musical version of it uh, from a YouTube channel called <laughs> Charles Cornell and I've jammed to it so many times. Just like, hell yeah, this is sick. <laughs> that now it's just like memorized like any other song that I would have listened to on repeat. <laughs> so it's just... <laughs> anyway, this is Sardonicast. I'm Adam from Your Movie Sex. I'm Ralphie from Ralphie the Movie Maker. Ralphie. <laughs> and I'm Alex from IHE. And that was a uh, flashback to the past. I hadn't heard that audio for a long time. Oh, yeah? I hear it like every week. <laughs> You've oh, clearly been my practicing. my jam, man. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, there's some very as of like the past hour. There's some movie news, I guess. Yeah, I hope you weren't looking forward to a new Chris Nolan movie anytime soon. Yep, they finally Aww. said indefinitely. <laughs> this time they delayed it, which is probably what they should have said the first time. So yeah, was anyone really expecting it to drop? I don't. It wasn't no. supposed to be out by now. Yeah, I was. I was <laughs> like, there were so many people that were so confident about it. They're like, but they gave an actual date. It's like, yeah, but they don't know <laughs> what the world's gonna be like on that day. I'm glad. I'm glad that it's like delayed, though. I don't know. I think it would be a bad idea. Yeah, apparently they might start releasing it around the world before the U.S. No, which would be quite weird. I mean, Christopher uh -huh. Nolan has specifically stated that he won't do that. So unless he's changed his mind. Like oh, he's really? very adamant about the release of this movie, which is why God, it's just it, been such a clusterfuck. It's astonishing that he has the control he has. It's so rare for you know, oh, yeah. a director to have that kind of power over his project. Yeah, whenever I think of like directors that do have influence over studios, Christopher Nolan's like the first one to come to mind. Because mm -hmm. yeah, he makes money. Much. Yeah, James Cameron's one. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you Tarantino, when you have the highest like, grossing like movie ever twice, <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like, ah, well, yeah, you have that kind of leeway. Yeah, you get it. You can just do what you want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Surely this is going to wind up this year being quite light by the mm -hmm. end of it, and we're just going to have like a year or two where everything's just kind of empty for a bit before things start trickling in again. Maybe such a weird time. I'm kind of disappointed that the Oscars has decided to not only postpone their ceremony but extend the eligibility by two months and they'll probably ex extend it even more if there's not enough like blockbuster movies out <laughs> that they want to include a because i would mm. love to see a really awkward oscars ceremony with no audience b <laughs> because <laughs> like the fact that they're extending it more if they didn't do that then there would be a higher chance of eligibility for like smaller independent films or even foreign films so like i can think of two things that i'm excited to see in september the new charlie kaufman and the new antonio campos so if the oscars was like mm -hmm. okay we're still going to have the eligibility uh the same we're not going to extend it then there would be more eyes on these smaller <laughs> art films you know but they don't want to do that they want to make sure True. tenets out yeah. <laughs> for the 2020 oscars yeah they struggle to get people to watch it when there were like really popular pop movies on it, let alone if it was just indie movies. They could also just nominate Sonic for Best Picture. <laughs> At least Best uh, Visual Effects. Come yeah. on. 
Yeah, best or best achievement in in visual effects. <laughs> <laughs> the achievement that they just changed the whole movie, I guess. <laughs> so we we also a movie called Artemis Fowl, and I don't think we're going to talk about it for super long. But <laughs> yeah, speaking of great movies from this year, yeah, yeah, that that caliber years, movies straight to Disney Plus. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was supposed to come out last year. It was supposed or to come you, out yeah, last year, right, or the year before. I thought it was just supposed, yeah, it was to, come supposed out to come out in August. But it's been yeah. a project that's been worked on since around two thousand and one. It's one of those projects. Oh, really? It's just been like, yeah, like and no mm-hmm. one could get it done, and Harvey Weinstein was funding the original version, nice. so that was delayed, and it's eventually just been squirted out onto Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, based on a young adult novel, it kind of has like a Harry Potter feel, but it's so dated mm-hmm. at this point. So the fact that this came out now, it's like people are so over this kind of shit. Yeah, and, and they the just do it badly. Really they don't dull. even adapt yeah. the the story very well. It doesn't do it justice no. at all. Apparently, it's, it's really so not faithful at all. Uh, I didn't read those books, so I don't know. But I like, did when I was younger. But villain in I that? Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's completely left my mind since then. Yeah, I'm only, like, it's described it. as like Die Hard with fairies. That's how the author described it. So that's not what I got from the movie at all. Yeah, but from like the books, all. it's supposed to be like a little bit more. <laughs> it's a YA, so it's like a little adult. It's a little violent, yeah. but I guess you can't show that in a Disney movie. So they they toned all that shit down. <laughs> it's kind of dull. This movie. Oh, super dull. They just rush over everything. Yep. Like, there's a point towards the end where they just don't stop introducing new characters, and it's like wait. You weren't like set up or anything, so they're doing like setups of characters at the end of the movie for the sequels. So just such a yeah for sequels that everyone knows is just never going to happen. So the film's pointless. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen so many of those in the past like decade. There's like Fantastic, there's the Mummy with Tom Cruise. They just love doing that. They're like, we got to set up Mm -hmm. for this whole franchise, and in the midst of doing that, in the pursuit of doing that they'd wind up making a terrible movie and eliminating the possibility of a franchise. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, what were you doing? <laughs> you have to make a good movie in there for it to be a franchise. <laughs> you forgot that step. Sleepless had a little stinger at the end that set up a sequel. So even that wanted to have like a franchise. <laughs> I had no idea. Anything. Anything. They don't care. Yeah, my biggest uh, takeaway from Artemis Fowl was just like, there's so much exposition, and during this exposition, oh god, like when they're when they're in the study hall or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, this thing my dad left for me," and they're like discovering these these pieces of paper with blah 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 and these clues or whatever. On its own, that scene would be identical to any other you know bland but moderately well received blockbuster kind of like fantasy uh, kind of young adult thing, but. Mm-hmm. The crucial mistake was that at this point in Artemis Fowl, they didn't really develop anything properly. There were no likable characters, and it was impossible to care what was going on. So you could like take that mm-hmm. exact same scene, put it in a different movie where the characters were developed or likable, and it would have it would feel completely different. But unfortunately, it's just like, man, this is boring because you can't care about what's going on. Yeah, the world is very like uninspired to me. 
and mm-hmm. it wasn't even well established yeah really it's really quick like you were saying it's all like so rushed over you just don't even have time to appreciate what's even fucking happening i had a hard time following the story yeah yeah uh, every everyone was pointing out josh gad like he was the worst part of the movie but judy dench in this was like kind of distracting <laughs> like, what the hell did she say? It was top of the morning to you. Oh, like, yeah. It was awful. I couldn't believe like, what <laughs> I was watching She had no idea what type of movie she was in. It was yeah. hilarious every time I don't think anybody she was did. on screen. It was so out of place. <laughs> Between that and Cats, I'm like, oh my god. Oh, she yeah. left the 007 franchise to do this. <laughs> I mean, she could do anything at this point. <laughs> she could retire. Yeah, she's <laughs> it great. Matter. Yeah, it's uh, lots of uh, really awkward, clunky exposition terrible dialogue yeah. terrible acting kids mm-hmm. sucked <laughs> artemis fowl as a character was really really annoying and unlikable mm-hmm. and he's never acted in anything before also they kind of just plucked him out of nowhere and was like you'll do this was your break kid yeah <laughs> yeah he's he's unrelatable he's like super Completely. intelligent he's a jerk he has like all this money and like everything he basically has everything so it's like okay what do i what more does this kid need like why should i relate to him yeah uh, and i felt that way about a lot of the characters in this too even when it comes to like his goals of like finding his dad or whatever <laughs> it's like they're j- just parts of the movie where you just forget that that's what's even going on it's like it feels just so poorly developed where it's like yeah. oh yeah you like, don't end. see them for an hour it feels like yeah colin farrell is so unimportant to the movie that he shot his entire it's even listed as a cameo on oh really movie. but in three <laughs> three days oh my god his, his entire in- inclusion on the project it's feeding time that was like the only good scene. We mentioned that in the previous episode in case anybody's getting deja vu about Artemis Fell. We didn't really yeah, review it. We just briefly where did, mentioned it. But the reason it does stand out there is because there's just nothing else like that. In yeah. The I was hoping the whole movie so would be weird. like that. It's so when I saw weird. that clip on Twitter, I was like, hell yeah. This looks hilarious. But then... It reminded me of um, R.I.P.D. with mm-hmm. um, Deadpool in it. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Similar kind of so. shite. Very similar. It did remind me of that. Yeah. Perfect comparison. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds and uh Yeah, dude, I yeah. heard about it, but the I dude. never saw it. <laughs> what is what is the budget on this movie? It's like hundred twenty-five million dollars. Yeah, right? no, surely. Are you joking? Some, like that. some stupid yeah. amount, really. It's some it's that. See. I think it's that. It doesn't Let's look see. like it. It looks like a Disney Channel million, movie, yeah. honestly. Mm-hmm. It looks like a Disney channel movie. Oh my god. I guess the stars, you know, Judy Dench and Josh Gad. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it that. certainly didn't go into those uh, flying sequences with the fairies. <laughs> oh my god! What, like conceptually, the, what were the they even going for? The Minotaur guy, the half horse, <laughs> like that looks like yeah. that was embarrassing to watch. Actually. It's like they just handed off these shots to just animators and were like given no direction, just make the fairies fly yeah. over there or whatever. They just did whatever the fuck they wanted. And there's no cohesion to it. Yeah, of it. it's just a mess. It really did not feel Very like bizarre. there was like any kind of a structure to what was happening, like directing or otherwise. Or an understanding of the universe in a yeah. way that's kind of like reverent to it. Like Certainly we talked no about Lord of the Rings recently, obviously. But yeah, you can tell the amount of like care and attention that was put into, you know, accurately representing what that story was about. And clearly that ain't what's happening here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. There was like the tech that like erased everyone's minds. That was just like men in black. It was yeah. basically a copy of that. And then oh, there was yeah. the whole time freezing sequence when they like mm-hmm. save everyone. And that was just a cheap ripoff of the Quicksilver scenes from X-Men. Mm-hmm. It was just a bunch yeah. of other movies that I'd seen just 
so poorly done. Yeah. And, yeah. like, you don't care about anything that's going on. It's weird, because it's, it's like a, it's a fantasy universe where the hook is that they have, like, science fiction technology. Like, the fact they're fairies isn't that important, really, to what's yeah, going really. on. It's more about the, yeah. the crazy tech they have, and it's not, like, magic. So you kind of... I could see that being an actual like good hook in like a book that fully fleshes out that idea, but it's super jarring in a movie that's this short and has just no development. Yeah, it felt like a really yeah. long first act. It was like right right yeah. when things felt yeah. like they should have been moving along was the ending. And partially, I mean, what what really doesn't help this is the fact that there were only like three or four different locations. It was like mm-hmm. this this implication of grandiose epic scale and yet it all just takes place in a house and then like a jail cell and one other place that yeah. I forget. And that's it. And it's just like, you, there was never any like adventure. There was never any like growth for characters. There was never, like I didn't feel like anybody got an arc or anything. <laughs> it just felt oh, like no. it was starting. No, that's way too much for this movie. Thanks, Kenneth Branagh, or however you pronounce his name. I don't think I'll ever be able to. <laughs> Branagh. That's right. He's, he does a lot of Shakespeare stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and he's good Thor. at that like i like hamlet and mm-hmm. thor's okay even that's yeah. kind of like shakespeare kinda. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. uh, i guess that's why they picked him yeah they added this like macguffin into this movie the aculos which that's that's yeah. not in the books apparently oh really and oh, it, really? it really it felt kind of shoehorned into the movie that whole thing yeah like it was, i I, it, I was having a hard time keeping track of like if we were going to find Colin Farrell or if we were chasing after the Aculos or like, like I didn't yeah. know what was going on in the whole movie. I, I remember a couple <laughs> really? points where I was, was so like, confusing. why is this thing important again? Like you're saying the yeah. name of it, but like what? <laughs> What's this for? It yeah. really and did like, feel just Josh Gad's in. character, they kind of portray him as if, yeah, we know how cool he is. We know this is going to be the character everyone walks away like loving. It's filmed that way. He's the Hagrid like the of, of like yeah, like a fan they, favorite they, kind of character. He's got his silly little gimmick of him being yeah. like a, he's like a dwarf that's really tall. That's his his shtick, which I guess could be funny. But again, mm-hmm. they just don't really do anything with it. And he, what is his purpose again? He can like break into the house or something. Yeah, so he's he like digs a, under an that expert. house. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I don't know why oh they just God. don't go in through the like a window. <laughs> but. Yeah, there's just. Did nothing felt important or deserved or earned or justified. Nothing felt like it mm-hmm. was like a logical conclusion of anything that happened before it. Just kind of things happened. <laughs> they fought some things at one point. When it started getting into the uh, when when the fairies showed up at the house and there was like that big dome and then there was a couple like fighting kind of actiony shots. It reminded me a bit of like Aquaman and I was hoping that more of the movie would be like that <laughs> it felt like a, yeah. a more poorly executed version of fight scenes from Aquaman but then we just barely got mm-hmm. anything from it it was just like it was like one scene yeah they really just they it was mostly just exposition and boring bullshit <laughs> they could have fit yeah. more into it I'm sure they could have it, like yeah, more that's interesting the thing that's things. so weird about it. It's like it rushes over anything and doesn't even seem like it's interested in developing anything that would be required for you to get even remotely invested. Mm-hmm. They describe him as like a criminal prodigy, but you really don't get that at all. Yeah. I guess it is just the Disney kind of like, they probably didn't want a kind of baddie main character, so they toned it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
they should have taken more risks with this, especially if they're just going to put it on Disney Plus and it's not going to be a major like theater release. I don't they think should have made Artemis intention. Fowl more of a. Yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> they just but, dumped it, you know. So they get to pretend yeah. like it wasn't a flop. <laughs> they weren't as like passionate about the Lion King as like the other movies they were going to release around that time, the animated films. Like they didn't have as much faith in it. I mean. And that turned oh, right. out to be a majorly successful movie. Yeah, the original Lion King. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that maybe because it's, you know, they don't care about it, why not fuck around with it? Make it something really special. Take some risks. Mm -hmm. Make Artemis Fowl the villain. Like, yeah, I don't choose, know. An, choose <laughs> an interesting so director and an interesting right. screenwriter. It was it like they no made it otherwise. to forget it to be forgotten. Yeah, and that's the worst kind of movie to me, where it just has no purpose to anyone. There's just no expression to it. Money. When all it's doing is just pissing off fans of, of the book series. That's all it's doing. Yeah. Or <laughs> being memed. Uh, there's so many of those. Oh, so many. It's like we just get them all the time. <laughs> it's a shame. It's... Oh, well. <laughs> it's, it's funny that, like, so many people saw it because it was on Disney Plus and because it was so bad. Pretty much, yeah. It was getting yeah. a lot of way more eyes on Twitter on it when it came of COVID. out. Yeah, this could have gone under the radar if not for the horrific situation we find yeah. ourselves in. <laughs> Mr. <Nistin> Nell, <laughs> there's nothing else to watch. Yeah, Artemis Fowl. <laughs> yes, all exactly. We have. <laughs> People are saying that this is like the worst Disney movie ever. I still think A Wrinkle in Time is worse, not by a like a significant margin. But I'll, I'll take your word for it because I just refuse to watch that one. Yeah, okay. It's too long. This one mm -hmm. was like 20 minutes shorter. Very, very annoying Disney <laughs> just trying to milk dry every single IP they can get their hands on. It's like, this exists already. Let's do this. Are you glad they have a place to dump their kind of outcasts now? <laughs> As opposed to putting it in theaters and expecting more money for it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I wish other studios would just dump things on digital too but yeah. disney has so much money it doesn't even matter i would rather they just make good movies and put it on disney plus mm -hmm. so <laughs> yeah. you know people could be entertained <laughs> like if people start thinking as disney plus as a dumping ground for like disney movies that suck <laughs> yeah, yeah. then no one's gonna get it <laughs> like they gotta stop they gotta stop yeah but they have all the old and, like, titles make good movies love. on there they have mandalorian they have the old titles yeah, yeah. and that's what people have it for but, you know, but I'm some thinking risks, like some good movies. If you have this movie and it's already been made and you've pumped a hundred million dollars into it, is it <laughs> actually an option to just hide it and just take the loss and just not have the I bad mean, optics from releasing it? We'll, we'll find out with <laughs> Chaos Walking, I guess. See if see if they yeah. just pretend that never happened <laughs> and not release it. <laughs> they're probably happy that it was being memed, to be honest. It's probably more than what they're anticipating. Yeah. See, I don't understand. Like, that's... When I look at other studios, like Chaos Walking, just dump it right now. People will watch it. They have nothing else to watch. Yeah. Just dump it. Yeah. You're, you don't know what you're going to do with it. You're, gonna, you're trying to release it in January and then postponing it another year into another January. Like, you clearly don't really want to release it. Just dump it on digital. <laughs> Come on. What are you doing? Uh, let me see that mess. We'll get it one day. Someday. Someday. Do you want to rate this thing? Yeah, let's. Do you have a rating? Let's rate it. I know what I'm giving it. Yeah, <laughs> one out of ten. Mm -hmm. I'm the same boat. One out of ten. Ain't much more to say I, about it. I mean, I am honestly with you. One out of ten. It's the worst movie I've seen this year. 
like mm-hmm. just so lazy yeah. and and it's like a total waste of time actually <laughs> yeah. i got nothing out of it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it was a, it was a, a couple of weeks ago that i watched it now so it, like struggling to even like remember anything about it is uh mm-hmm. it's proving difficult yeah all right so uh there was a film recommendation from alex but for this film recommendation i decided it would be a good idea to have a surprise guest uh, join us for this discussion. Uh, he's my roommate, so I'm going to grab him from downstairs, and through the power of editing, it'll seem like he got here in like two seconds. <laughs> and we're back with Gael. Hello. He made it. Uh, anybody listening, you might recognize his voice from the Adam and Pals commentaries. He's also sometimes been on the gaming channel, the YMS commentaries stuff. It is I. Yes. And uh, I figured it would be good to have him in the discussion because there's a lot of uh, interesting context to the film that he's able to bring. But we'll get into that in a bit. Um, Hmm. Alex, why don't you introduce the movie? Spoiler discussion. Okay, so this was my pick, uh, Incendies. Is that right? Almost. Incendies. Almost got it. Wait, Incendies, did you say? That's a silence. Son. Eh. Son. D. D. Yeah. There you go. Okay. And now I've got to try and say the director's name too. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have a panic attack every time I have to say his name. But any, either which way, the movie came out 2010, directed by <laughs> Denis Villeneuve. Oh, that was that? pretty good. That was good. So it is Denis. It's not like the British. Uh, Denis. Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, this is his second feature, a uh, drama mystery about twins, Gene uh, and Simon. Is it Jean or Jean? Jean? Because again, it's Jean, sorry. Like, <laughs> See, like Jean Dielman. Like Jean Dielman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like Jean Dielman. Okay, Jean and Simon, who traveled to the Middle East in an attempt to find out the truth about their kind of family history and fulfill their mother's last wishes and discover some kind of shocking reveals along the way. Uh, they keep it somewhat vague, but the war elements of the movie are set during the Lebanese Civil War. And particularly on this story of, uh, I'm going to say another butchered name now, uh, Suha Bakara? Suhab Shara, but very close. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm we so got sorry, the expert but... here. <laughs> no, speak, yeah, this I is actually Arabic, perfect. So we're making it. Um, who, yeah, who actually did attempt to assassinate the general um, of the South Lebanon army which kind of happens in the movie too, obviously. So while the story is largely based on a stage play, I believe, mm-hmm. obviously the setting is a lot of truth that it's based around. And this is one of the two movies from uh, Denis I hadn't seen yet. Um, and it turns out it's one of his one of his best works, I think. I really enjoyed this one and thought mm-hmm. it, it, show, it, it really showed the kind of early promise he had because he's, he's fully developed at this point. But going back and oh, seeing yeah. the... The, the early talent is like very showing and it, and it's great to see that kind of progression from the start mm-hmm. but yeah it really emotionally affected me um especially love the visual presentation style what do you guys think i love it i i had seen it before a couple times this was on my uh 2010 list i believe i'm just gonna correct you a little here i believe this is his third feature he has uh oh, really? polytechnic and maelstrom i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right um, oh, was that those a feature? Those are two before. Both of those are Denny. Oh, my apologies. Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, no worries. I haven't seen Maelstrom, uh, but I have seen Polytechnique. Polytechnique, I 
thought was fine. So I do consider Incendie to be his really first, like, breakout. Okay, yeah, like, he knows yeah, what he's doing. Yeah, because I watched This is a professional sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it, it kind of showed that it was his first picture kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it was, he was establishing a style and exploring it a bit more. And there were a couple of similarities with uh, this one, with the using kind of a classroom to establish some kind of theme that carries through the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same thing happens in Arrival, pretty much. Mm. Uh, yeah, tr true, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even connect that. <laughs> What'd you think, Ralph? thought it was great. Yeah, I, I, don't, know. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's a pretty rough movie in terms of like the the subject matter and mm -hmm. very it's heavy. pretty disturbing yeah very heavy and uh toward the end i get i got old boyd <laughs> but... yeah. yes we were watching some of the behind the scenes features uh on the blu-ray after we watched the movie and uh the tom york i guess radiohead music that wound up making it into the film was stuff that he listened to as he was adapting the original play into a, a screenplay. And so he just always had that oh. on him the entire time. And then he even brought these headphones with him on set while he was listening to the Radiohead music and was just talking about how awesome it was for things to come together in that way. He's like, the memories of like writing it as he was listening to the songs. I found that uh, mm. to be pretty appropriate music. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, what it. a way to open and the it's movie. It's almost like you wouldn't expect it to work that well for like the setting. And a lot of films mm -hmm. that, uh, I guess, tackle uh, a setting like this one might have a bit more <laughs> cliched music, but I felt like the music really added a lot in terms of like not only the uniqueness of the experience, but I guess the maturity of it as well. Yeah, they've got the right sound for it. And I've always thought yeah. they're quite a cinematic band, you know, the just the way they use music. So yeah. it just fits really well and strikes in the exact way they're going for. Yeah, and then Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, um, unless you guys had a bit more to add before, Gail jumps in with this mountain of context uh, that he has curated. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear, because just from watching, you could I could tell there's a lot of context I'm missing out on, obviously, mm -hmm. just not being educated on any of the conflict here, really. So, All right. Yeah, whenever you want to yeah, jump in. The context is both historical and personal for me, um, because mm -hmm. I am Lebanese-Canadian. Uh, I grew up in Lebanon uh, up until the age of 14, which was in 2006, at the outbreak of the 2006 Lebanon War. Uh, at which point my family and I fled from Lebanon to Canada, where we became immigrants and eventually citizens. Weird parallels, and I'm sure it's not just me. I think a lot of people who have lived in that region and who have experienced war will probably find a lot to chew on in this film. But with that region in particular, because it is a very specific war that is being kind of set for the film, the film's adaptation of a play by a Lebanese-Canadian playwright named Wajde Mawad, who was setting the play in the backdrop of the Lebanese Civil War in 1975 to 1990, which was my parents' war. Incidentally, he is as old as my parents, in a sense. I guess a little bit younger. And another mm -hmm. war, which is the uh, Lebanon-Israel conflict between 85 and 2000. So they're kind of smushed together in, in, a, in a weird sense. Uh, and I'm also a triplet. I also have a twin brother and a twin sister. So it's kind of funny to have that weird parallel oh, wow. there. Yeah. So as you mentioned, 
um, Alex, the the play was loosely based around the life of a Lebanese communist militant named Suhab Shara, who grew up, who has a lot of parallels with our main character. For example, she grew up in a Christian household. She grew up as a Christian, as did I, incidentally. She eventually joined the resistance force, um, which was, well, I'm not going to get into too, too political, but the communist faction of the resistance force, which was kind of pro-Muslim, pro-Palestinian at the time in southern Lebanon. And she, with her Christian background, was essentially recruited to assassinate the head of the South Lebanon army, uh, an individual named Antoine Lahad, or Lahad, I guess. And like the film, she actually shoots him twice. Uh, and in Suha's words, it was one bullet for Lebanon, one bullet for Palestine. She was sent to Israel for questioning, where she was questioned and beat up, and then sent back to uh, the south of Lebanon to a prison camp known as Khiam, which has its analog in the film in the form of this prison called uh, Kfar Rayat in the film and in the play. And yes, she was tortured, uh, and she did used to sing in prison, and she did become known as the lady who sings or the woman who sings. The playwright did interview Suha a lot to get some context for his play. And when he asked her what it was she sang in prison, she said, uh, oh, just whatever came into my head. Because you know, she, was, she was in a cell that was confined and the cells next to her where people were getting tortured. So when people got tortured, she would sing to drown it out. And so she said, yeah, I just used to sing like ABBA and Depeche Mode. So it's kind of funny like, to great. think that she was singing Dancing <laughs> Queen in this torture prison. And in the film, like, she's yeah. like, you know, she's singing this like oriental lullaby raga thing. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's funny how these things get translated. But oh, obviously yeah. it wasn't going to work, you know, for the play or for the film for her to be singing Dancing <laughs> yeah. Queen while she was in prison. <laughs> yeah, the, the reality is pretty surreal that way, honestly. That that that's that the reality is actually kind of weirder than um yeah, than the film yeah. and the Didn't play. Know any of that. So it's not all uh parallel. There are some things that have been changed. For example, she was never on the bus that was attacked uh, in 74 or 75. The, this is a famous bus massacre that is one of the inciting incidents that started the Lebanese civil war outright. So it was kind of a big deal at the time. And it was carried out by uh, this right-wing Christian militia group known as the Phalangists, uh, who were the same people who also carried out the Sabra and Chatilla massacre, uh, which is kind of referenced in the film as well through like the, the burned-down village orphanage type thing. The Suha was not actually involved in either of those, so, and she wasn't. I don't know if we're gonna fucking spoil the ending here. Oh yeah, we um, have. It's a spoiler. Right, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. She she wasn't like raped in prison. Obviously, she didn't have that experience. That came from somewhere else. What happened was the writer, the playwright, had an interview. Basically, talked with his friend, a uh, Quebecois photographer named José Lambert, who was showing him photographs that she had taken of southern Lebanon, of the Khiam prison. They were talking about it, and she explained to him how there were some photographs that she decided not to take because the stories and the images were too disturbing that she didn't want to, to essentially materialize them. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, and Wajdi became very obsessed with this idea of what he called the invisible photograph. In other words, an image that exists, but not in a photograph form, uh, which is to say an image that exists not in reality, but is nevertheless burned into the eyes of whoever saw it. And one of those images that came to him in the form of a story that Jose told him about her uh, person she knew at Khiam was that a lot of women 
uh, especially the mothers of refugees and Muslims at the time in the, during the civil war would be taken to uh, Khiyam in order to be tortured so that the uh, torturers would get to know where their children are. They wanted to reveal where their sons were, which oftentimes were people who were associated with either the Palestinians or the resistance or Hezbollah. Uh, it could be kind of any of those. And so in order for the women to tell you know, their captors where their sons were, they would torture their mothers. And so you'd get these really old women or these older women who were being tortured at the hands of younger men uh, uh, in front of their daughters so that the daughters would tell the torturers what would happen. And in one of these apocryphal incidences, one of the women who was being kind of tortured and who was crying and, and pleading and arguing with her torturer uh, said to him, look at me, how can you do this? I could be your mother. Mm-hmm. And that hmm. story just really kind of hit a light bulb for him. And, and he just kind of wrote the entire play around uh, that story and incorporated the context of those wars around it. Mm-hmm. So that's the initial context of what you're looking at, um, even though none of it is ex- explicitly named in the film, which yeah. is something we will There's like to. a fake town name. Too. Yeah, everything is renamed. Everything, yeah. n- nothing is referred to explicitly. Um, and there's a lot to be said there as well. Um, the reason he made that decision as a director or as a playwright was because, kind of like me, when his parents fled that war with him, he was just a small child or at least too small to make decisions for his own. He was certainly too small to decide that he could stay or not. Uh, I was 14 when my parents and I, we all just fled the country. He was eight i believe and then he was 14 when they went for when he moved eventually to canada but at eight they fled to paris and france and he lived there for a few years and then at 14 he moved to quebec which was one of the places we were potentially going to move to and as a result he felt in a sense that it wasn't his story to tell Mm -hmm. he had never been to the south of lebanon and the war wasn't as vivid a memory for him but he still wanted to tell the story and so watching this movie and watching that context and understanding why these names were left out really ends up fucking with my head because <laughs> there's, there's a lot that's, that I personally attach to in this. To give mm-hmm. a little bit extra context uh, for, for what I think is one of the really great themes of the film which, and the play, which is the violence and the chain of violence, the Khiyam prison was uh, essentially abandoned in the year 2000 when Israel withdrew from the south of Lebanon. And it became a museum. And then in 2006, which is the war that I fled from, uh, the IAF started conducting airstrikes across the country, destroying several targets, including the airport, which is why we had to leave by boat. But one of the targets that they destroyed was the Khiam prison in 2006 in that airstrike in the war that I fled from, ostensibly to destroy a lot of the evidence of mistreatment and human rights violations. So it's weird because it kind of directly ties to me. Yeah. It's 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 so crazy to mm. me to think about that this that I am just the last link in this extremely long chain of war and violence that both the play and the film try to address and try to say hey isn't it wouldn't it be great if if we could just we could just not do that <laughs> yeah. so, just yeah. chill out so so that's that's a, a little bit of the the context surrounding the play I have a lot more to say about it but mm-hmm. I'm just gonna take a breath yeah, here. Sure. And have you know some reactions? See if, if he has any questions, anything I could potentially try to answer. I'll try to clarify things as well. I tend to ramble. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Thank you so much. No, it's fascinating. It, it really uh, just goes to show how art can 
have a different experience on different people depending on what their own life experiences are because like yeah I'm, I'm i'm watching it as a film in terms of like the more creative elements that are within it and i don't have that mm. historical or cultural context in mind so it doesn't hit me personally in a way as something that i've ever experienced so i kind of just have to like view the world in kind of the same way that I would view a fictional world almost. But it is, you know, despite not being a literal real adaptation, you know, it's more a bit more vague than that. And there's more uh, leeway when it comes to the accuracy of events. Still, these are real things that have affected real people at the same time. Wow. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of a good angle to... <laughs> come back from that one. I'm just, I'm just thinking about it now because that is a lot of like extra stuff to think about. Mm -hmm. I, I can furnish you with more if you want. <laughs> Please do. As Adam mentioned, this isn't. It wasn't actually written from Wedge's perspective with the intention of being a historical drama. He wanted to write more of a Greek tragedy, which is kind of why the kind mm -hmm. of whole Oedipus aspect of it comes in and mm. becomes so affiliated with the story. On the, on the topic of authenticity, of you know, fidelity, not just to what it's trying to represent, but also from the adaptation from the film to the play, um, there were some interesting differences and similarities. Uh, when Villeneuve saw the play in 2004, he decided he wanted to adapt it, but he couldn't really use much of the, the script because it was, it's a very performative piece. There's a lot of things that are that mm -hmm. have the trappings of theater where you mm -hmm. kind of speak outwardly. You're talking more to the audience. You're monologuing in a sense. Uh, and so a lot of it, most of it had to be rewritten. None of the Arabic is in the play except for kind of a sequence where the main character learns how to read and write where she's learning the, the Arabic alphabet. So she re recites them. But the play is almost always uh, performed by French actors or French Canadian actors who don't speak Arabic. So uh, it wouldn't have made sense for, for that to work. Mm -hmm. So... The way the Arabic is written in the film is unbelievably accurate. authentic. It's so like it's authentic to the point where I know that he didn't write it. Like mm -hmm. that's how authentic it is because there's no way he could have written it. One of the examples that I give, which which really struck me the first time I saw the film, the scene where Jean uh, get goes back to the country, goes to her mother's village to try to find out what happened, and she goes into this house with a whole bunch of women in it. If you guys remember that scene. And she's trying mm -hmm. to tell them, hey, I'm looking mm -hmm. for somebody. Does anyone speak English? Tea party. Basically, yeah. It's just <laughs> a huge room with like, you know, mm -hmm. like 15, 20 women, which is also a setting that is not unfamiliar. It's kind of more of a, of a countryside thing where you have women who gossip, who are less educated, who live in these large these houses together. And um, when she tells them her name, she says, I'm, and who she's looking for, she says, I'm looking for Nawal Marwan. And she gives them a picture. And the, one of the women recognizes Nawal, and she says in Arabic to anyone who's related to Marwan, we say la ahla wa la sahla, which is kind of a pun, mm -hmm. uh, and it's also dialectically localized, which is to say that in formal Arabic you would say ahlan wa sahlan, ahlan meaning uh, parents or family, sahl sahl uh, mean would be like a piece of land like a like a farm something you would use for agriculture a large flat piece of land mm. so when you when you welcome someone to your home and you say ahlan wa sahlan you're basically telling them uh, you know you have my family you have my farm you're welcome here and the word la in arabic means no so when this character says la ahla wa la sahla she's saying 
I don't give you my family or my farm. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like a snarky, like little pun. And just like a play on words that's like impossible words. to translate um, for yeah, subtitles. You, you can't really, really translate it. It's no. kind of like it's kind of like if you invited someone to your home and said, Hey, welcome. Don't make yourself at home. <laughs> right? It's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like that. And it's funny because there's layers of translation. So she trans she says that. The French translator in the film goes to John and says, les, les, filles, les fils de Nawal Marwan ne sont pas bienvenus ici. And then the English subtitle says, the daughters of Nawal Marwan are not welcome here. So there's like mm-hmm. three layers of translation. Yeah, it's which impossible. Which is fucked to me. Because I, I speak all of those languages <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, can, I can like see it getting mangled through this. Yeah, the telephone this, game. This telephone game. It's yeah. so, so it's, it's kind of insane. But that, there's no way he wrote that. Like that's just a play on words. Yeah. Somebody who spoke, not just spoke Arabic, but also has a sense of humor and loves the language, not only created that word, but if you noticed, I said it's supposed to be pronounced ahlan wa sahlan. And the film, she just says ahla wa sahla, which is a dialect that you get in North Jordan, Palestine, Southern Lebanon. So it's kind of a, a Lebanese dialect. And so uh, what ha- the problem that they run into is that Wajde is trying to tell this story of childhood loss, of the chain of violence, and it turns into Denis Villeneuve's attempt to try to tell a story about war in general. And he's using as his vehicle a very, very specific war to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, what he ends up doing is evoking the faces the the dialects, historical events, geographical locations that remind you or remind me of a very specific country without actually ever explicitly naming the country anywhere in the film. Mm-hmm. So when, when I have to sit there and go, well, yeah, it's authentic, but then you have to ask, well, authentic relative to what, right? If something is authentic, it has to be authentic relative to something. But the thing that it's trying to be authentic to is never mentioned anywhere in the canon. Mm-hmm. So that's actually actually been the subject of some criticism which I've read of the film, which claims that is, doesn't this, isn't this kind of hypocritical? Isn't there some element of erasure that's going on here uh, when you're never actually explicitly naming any of the people that, that are involved in this? Uh, funny enough, the playwright did try to do this. Like when he was rehearsing the play where they were trying it, but they would say, you know, Lebanon, they would say the refugees, the Palestinian refugees, they would say the, the, the Falange party. And then, and the, he just, while they were rehearsing it, Wesley just couldn't do it. He's like, I can't do this. This is, in his words, I can't translate this too well because in French, it's, he had, he, he would say he had an ontological problem with it, which doesn't translate that well into English. Mm-hmm. But essentially he was saying that it doesn't feel right to him. It's not, it feels like he doesn't, he's being an imposter. He doesn't own that story. So it's kind of crazy. And then it has to go to a French Canadian director who also doesn't speak Arabic, yeah. but who did, you know, a pretty unbelievably staggering job at, at uh, recreating and adapting this film, uh, this play in, in a really authentic way. That's one of the things that I respect a lot about a lot of my favorite favorite directors is that they're able to, even if they're not personally familiar with a subject, they're able to put so much effort and dedication into it that they can find the right people to make sure that things are portrayed authentically or you know even just do their own research in a way uh obviously with denis villeneuve there has to have been like an actual team to help localize a lot of the uh Mm -hmm. the language and and phrasing and authenticity in general another thing that comes to mind is like uh 
Michelle Hanukkah's happy end where <laughs> it's like he, he the the internet culture is in that movie yeah. and he's not familiar with it at all but he just gave enough of a shit to be like okay I'm going to actually research this I'm actually going to portray things in a realistic way I love that and uh it's far too often where you see directors that tackle subjects that they have no familiarity on and then just wind up being like, well, this is what I think it is, so nobody else will know. Yeah, when... and you can totally tell. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell like, they have no familiarity with it. Yeah, that when you're kind of like uh, ostracizing the audience or, or making it so that people who are more familiar with a subject aren't really able to enjoy it as much because it'll stick out like a sore thumb to them. Mm-hmm. And do you think that vagueness, that kind of vague approach to not directly referencing everything by name kind of enhances the way this specific story unfolds too because i'm glad you mentioned the the greek kind of tragedy angle to it because we mentioned the, the kind of old boy reveal at the end mm-hmm. and when that hits it, it it feels more like a kind of literary greek tragedy kind of beat yeah that i, I really wasn't expecting um mm-hmm. so that was mm-hmm. a genuine surprise for me which, to be honest, I wasn't really quite sure how it was, Going how I was feeling all. about it at first, because it does, it, it did just catch me completely off guard. I was not expecting the story to to go that kind of direction, based mm-hmm. on how, as you were saying, it comes across even without knowing this insider information that you're giving me right now. It came across as if it was trying to be as respectful as humanly possible, and and then all of know, a sudden pulls this treading with care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then it pulls this this thing out, which is essential to the the kind of thematic through line coming together at the end and i think it does make it worth it for that reason but i did have to kind of shift the way i viewed the movie um for so did i that helps i also didn't like the twist the first time i saw the movie oh good well i was like why is this so over the top this was so authentic and then all of a sudden there's this you know weird rape and he's the dad and the what is what like i was so confused and angry the first Mm. time i saw the film because it because up to that point it just had me and then it just became this weird thing. But I've come to terms with the twist now in the second viewing and recontextualizing uh, what I know because there's there's not just like, there, there's like you said, there's symbolic and thematic elements to it. Violence literally breeds mm-hmm. more violence and also comes from this other historical uh, context of this at least apocryphal story that actually potentially may have happened that Wesley was at least inspired enough to write around uh, for his entire play. So it's kind of the centerpiece of the whole thing. And it feels like it's all in service of trying to get that one dramatic beat to actually work. Mm-hmm. And I think it works better in the play as a beat. It's more, um, what do you, what, it, 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 it fits better with a style because the play is a little bit like performative. Does yeah. it feel less like a gotcha? So in yeah. the film, it's, it takes a little bit more of a delicate touch, I think. And I don't know if it works. I had a question for Ralph in terms of authenticity because there's a lot of Italian films that get mentioned in on this podcast and have been recommended. And I've, saw, I've seen a lot of them with Adam as well, and a lot of them are really good. Yeah. And you've talked a lot in the past <laughs> about how a lot of the authenticity of it, a lot of just taking you there, the food, the, the, the environment, the buildings, the language, puts you in the film in a way that is different than a normal film, I guess, a, tradi- a, a standard film. Yeah, and exactly. I felt that for the first time watching this movie. Because there's not that many films out. There's a lot of Italian movies out there. There's not that many movies out there that are set in kind of a, a cultural Lebanon that I can cling on to. And I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. do you have any experiences with films that are trying to do that with your culture but completely fail? And what kind of reaction, <laughs> what kind of reaction does that end up evoking in you? Do you still view it as a film or do you think it's 
more of something personal that just really went the wrong way. Yeah, well, it's definitely a criticism of a movie. Um, well, the movie Gotti. Yeah, I that knew was that was coming. To tell I knew that was <laughs> <laughs> I was just ready for you to say yeah, Gotti. Yeah, just because just of the Italian food and everything. But it's hard. I don't get like offended by it or anything. I just think it adds a lot to a film. Like Adam was saying, people who are from that region or people who are experienced with these kind of things mm -hmm. should have more appreciation for the movie, not less appreciation mm -hmm. when they see these things played out. It shouldn't be completely unrealistic in how it's portrayed. I think it adds a lot, yeah. What's another one? I'm trying to think of like a... Because Gotti was like such an obvious answer. Yeah. <laughs> if I think of another less obvious one, I'll go back. I'll come back if to you. If there's any good ones that you think are worth mentioning because they're good, uh, like the one, like Happy yeah, as Lazarus well, like the all film the I classics. actually really enjoyed. Yeah. And that's from Italy too. There's mm. like there's like Italian films and then there's like Italian-American, like Scorsese, like Made right. in New York or whatever. The Safdie Brothers. No, that's not really Safdie. Safdie Brothers are more... Uh, yeah. But they're more authentic to New York. Mm-hmm. Cinema Paradiso is one we talked about yep. that I, I mm -hmm. think is very uh, authentic to that time period. Bicycle Thieves? You ever see that? <laughs> That's pretty it. old, though. That's really old. <laughs> That's a great one, though. Uh, yeah. That's Those great. are just a few I recommend that are, like, actually good. Um, mm -hmm. that's why I wanted to hear you talk about this because, you know, you're clearly much more experienced with the background of the backdrop of this film yeah. than I am. Like I had no mm -hmm. idea about any of this. I was just watching it as kind of a Greek tragedy, as a drama and all of that stuff enhanced the story. Yeah. But the story itself was really compelling. And I, that's why I thought the twist worked because it's really like, it's from the perspective of these young people like uncovering the truth about their past, mm -hmm. which is, I'm sure, how, like, that's the perspective many people watching this movie in, in Canada or Quebec, like, would take with this movie. And so that's why I thought the twist really worked at the end. It was like a perfect tie-in or tying, it tied everything up so well uh, with that theme, you mm -hmm. know? You know what I'm trying to say? No, yeah. yeah. Uh, that makes sense. I, I kind of want to talk about some of the choices in this movie. Because they uh, obviously the uh, the bus scene is like one of the most like brutal and uh, yeah. impactful scenes of the movie. It's like absolutely horrifying, yeah. and I love the way it's presented. It gets the emotions across very very well. Gael mentioned as we were watching this, like at the end, the uh, the son <laughs> as he's now in Quebec. He's got a job like cleaning buses, yeah. which is kind Avatotic, of a the interesting. Like he's little cleaning tie buses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really just cleaning buses. Yeah, there's there's things about this movie that kind of fit together really well in in the same way that you know uh, a lot of the choices in something like uh, being John Malkovich like tie in really well. It's like okay, that right there is a purposeful choice. Yeah. Another one that I noticed was um, right after they got the reveal of uh, the prison babies being twins it cuts to swimming pool. uh yeah the swimming pool and we get yeah, that dramatic that. kind of like boosh, sound effect as both of them jump into the pool which is not just a great way to kind of add that you know you might even call it like a, a trailer sound effect cue however <laughs> it's it's more oh, cynical people reasonable and realistic in this because it's like okay you can believe it's from the film's universe but also yeah. it ties back into how the babies were initially supposed to be thrown in the river. And now we oh, see the fuck. two. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah dude. 
that stood out to me. That's amazing. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. so it's up. a really clever mm-hmm. way to. It gives the audience things. like a lot of credit, doesn't it? Uh, there, so there's some particular standout moments to me. Um, there was that shot I loved, the metal detector. Oh yeah, shot. Oh, love that shot. Where, yeah, <laughs> it sets up just you know so that good. side of it so clearly without saying a single word. And the mm-hmm. same with like the the sh- the close up on um one of the characters like battered and bloody feet as they're pacing in the cell, and it you just it just builds such a picture and like such an emotional image without having to over explain anything or rely on dialogue to over explain. It really embraces the visual side of it, which I've always liked about his movies. Mm-hmm. What a talented yeah. visual storyteller! Yep, holy shit! Yeah, mm-hmm. very very intelligently no awkward exposition in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> right. It doesn't hold your hand at all. Uh huh. The reveal isn't like there's no words actually explaining no. it. The the big old boy no. twist. You just piece yeah. it together on your own. And the gasp is like a it's like a jump scare moment. Yeah. <laughs> when she's like, oh! mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, the performances really help sell it too. Excellent. Did you like the uh, old age makeup toward the end? Like on uh on on the woman? I didn't have any <laughs> like issues when she was with in the it, pool for sure. I thought it looked okay. Yeah, you thought it was okay. I thought it was a little distracting. Mm-hmm. That and one other criticism, there's like a scream sound effect that's used like in the torture section of the movie, mm-hmm. like off in the background, and that's used in like a Halloween decoration. Oh no. Oh, no. Like a zombie will <laughs> lie out on, on your lawn. So yeah. So when I heard that, I was like I was kind of <laughs> chuckling. But I, I'm sure see. they made that decoration after the movie came out or I don't know yeah. if they took it from the movie. I don't know what happened. But There's a lot of stuff that took me out of the film. <laughs> it was just too, the thing so, yeah. I noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like minor criticisms that took me out of the film's universe, but it wasn't something to where I would take off many points for it. Mm-hmm. Just little things. As we mentioned on the episode with Matt Johnson, uh, French Canadian films have a really good pool of talented actors. And I wish that was true for all Canadian yeah. films, but French Canadian ones in particular, there's a, there's they've got a really good community of actors, and I'm I'm happy to to see French Canadian films where it's like okay wow I'm actually like impressed like this is yeah the performances were pretty strong yeah always mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. French Canadian movies have have strong performances really helps sell everything in the film. I love how the progression of the character was shown. And I love that it never felt like cheap or undeserved when we see how she gets radicalized, mm. the uh, mother character. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it felt very logical and very true and genuine. Also, the way they showed the For brother sure. grow up, I thought, I thought that was really effective. Like, because it's kind of told out of time. Like you see the brother grow up, but it's mm-hmm. not really going on at the same time as the story is yeah, taking place. Yeah, it's very non-linear, and that could feel kind of cheap, but it ends up working, I think, especially because the story starts like with the brother being young mm-hmm. and the Radiohead music too. It constantly yeah. comes back to like kind of remind you of that again. It, it's very, it feels very purposeful. Yeah, the chapters were broken up very neatly. There's a nice pacing and energy to it. Like each yeah, chapter yeah. felt like a new justified sort of story, I guess, or part of the story. Anything else you wanted to add, Alex or Ralph? I think Gael might have a couple more things. Yeah, we've kind of covered the m- most of the details that I've noted down. My, my only other kind of main thing that I noted was how I thought the the rape scene was well done for such mm-hmm. a like horrific subject material is you know you're dancing on thin ice with yeah, the way yeah. you portray it was, it was you can portray yeah, that and the tasteful. way that the yeah. way they choose to do that 
is, I mean, is um, <laughs> effective. I, I mean, Denis Villeneuve's previous film was like about like a, a incel school shooting in Canada. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, like, oh. yeah, he he wouldn't have been uh, unfamiliar with tackling sensitive subject matters at this point. But yeah, 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 I agree. yeah. yeah I guess you do have a, a couple more things I wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, yeah, so we're talking about things that took you out of the movie. There were a couple of translations that took me out of the movie, like near the end um, where Simon uh, meets, goes to Dressa and he gets invited over for tea by this guy in the neighborhood and he has a translator with him and the guy asks him, uh, you know, why he's here. And then the translator says, he just asked you why you're here and what your name is, even though the guy never asked him what his name was in Arabic. So that took me out of the... There's stuff like that. I would be, I'd be able to ignore that if it was a subtitle. But what really made that moment stand out was that the guy said something in Arabic and then the guy translating it to French to the character in the film translated it in, like incorrectly. Uh, like not just incorrectly, he, added, he no. added a thing that was needed for like a plot device for the story. It was like, oh, he's asking you what your name is because he has to tell him, oh, I'm the, the son of the woman who sings. So it would drive the story forward. So that definitely felt like mm. cheap to me. It's like, ah, oh, come on. You guys could have gotten them to... Someone, no one was paying attention on set on the day. All right, anyway. Unless uh, that's like supposed to be a part of his character or something that he added that. You never know. Uh, but I mean, even if we ignore that, there's, as you've mentioned, tons of other... A couple others. Uh, mistranslations, I guess. I love the the thematic decision to have a notary be the main driver oh, yeah. of the plot because mm. like uh, that that so in in the play itself uh this is expanded on a lot more explicitly like there's a lot of really you know obvious references to the chain of violence there's an entire sequence just to give you an idea that goes when she gets to the orphanage in the play and she asks the doctor what why did they burn down the orphanage he goes into this whole super long spiel. It's like, well, he, they did it to get revenge because two days ago, the militia men hanged three teenagers who ventured out of the camps. Why did they hang the three teenagers? Because uh, two refugees from the camp raped and killed a girl from the village. Why did they kill and rape the girl? Because the militia men stored a refugee fa- uh, stoned refugee family earlier in the day. Why did they do that? Because refugees had burned down a house near the hill. Why? And they just kind of goes, and goes that's halfway into the paragraph, right? And, and he just kind of keeps <laughs> going. And it ends with, why did they burn down the crop? Well, there's certainly a reason, but my memory ends there. I don't <laughs> recall any further, but the story can go on for a long time, from threat to needle, yeah. from anger to anger, from punishment to sadness, from rape to, rape to murder, right up to the beginning of the world. Very thematic. Yeah, and it's this chain of violence idea. And in the film, they, what the Nori says, death leaves tracks, which is kind of an interesting line that stood out to me, because that's his job, but also in the story, you know, it makes sense. Everything's being recorded as it happens. It gets referenced in the film when he's like, Go see Shamsuddin. He's going to tell you all this. You know, he's going to tell you what happened to the orphanage. And Simone's like, How is this random guy going to remember what happened 25 years ago? And Nordy's like, He's a warlord. These people have long memories. And it's like, that line also stuck out, stood out to me. It's like, Yes, people have long memories when it comes to these things. And all the, the references that they're making to these, this chain of violence, again, just just ends like today. It doesn't really end. We're all trying to get out of it. But like, I'm the last link in that chain that's currently alive. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to have any children probably, but who knows? Like gay. what adjacent. Yeah, I'm, I'm gay. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> I'm also a furry. I did quite a, tr- t- trust me, telling your parents you're a furry when, when you're from the Middle East is, is more awkward than telling them that you're gay. <laughs> that's, that's hell of a conversation. Yeah. I mean, how's the, how's the furry community back <laughs> in Lebanon? That is thriving. Sure yeah. 
Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking weird. But but yeah, I just love that decision as well. Like just just having that chain of violence, and it's like, and the end of at the end of the movie, the letter that she gives to her children says, "It's your turn." Like you have to break the chain. You have to break the the silence has been broken. You have to break this chain of violence. In the play, the letter to her daughter tells her basically, "I know you're angry at me, just like I was angry at my mother." But you know we have to break this chain of violence, and that's always obviously another theme of of the work that translates through the adaptations. And is brought to life by kind of all these characters and all these plot elements that that come together really nicely. So mm-hmm. I really love like every decision that went into this film, and I love Villeneuve's work. I also love mm-hmm. Arrival uh, for yeah. similar reasons. Still a couple mm-hmm. that you need to see. Yeah, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen Prisoners or Enemy yet, so yeah. those are the on two Gyllenhaals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Gyllen the Gyllenhaal. <laughs> yeah, catalog's really ranged at this point. He hasn't yeah, made a is. bad movie like for no. for like. 10 years pretty much Ever, basically. And i mean polytechnique i wouldn't even say is a bad movie but like every movie of his has been pretty great like <laughs> i think this is like one of his best of for me so yeah. yeah have fun editing all that how did with this new context does this change the way that you guys see the film at all like if i yeah, if knowing the director's intent do you think he still achieved it mm-hmm. this attempt to tell a story about war in general or universally but using a very specific mm-hmm. war to tell it. That's the one part that I'm like, I don't know if he achieved that for me because I can't I can't read this as a general war. I know what this is mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Uh but I'm one but I mean clearly that hit for most people. I'm just wondering if that's been enhanced or if that's taken anything away. Like what do you guys what's the takeaway here? I think it works in two ways, because clearly you are you're able to add so much more kind of depth to the movie. But on its own, without any of the context, it still works and achieves uh, mm-hmm. delivering its overarching kind of mm-hmm. themes and goals in a powerful way. So, yeah, I think that really works in that regard. Yeah. There's all this hidden surface, though, that you kind of uncovered. <laughs> That's very interesting. Mm. So it does make me kind of look at I want to watch the movie again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, at it already point. felt like one of those yeah. movies that almost requires a rewatch. Yeah. Because right. just the way it's structured, and now you'll definitely read For things sure. that are at the beginning of the movie, that the seeds that are sown that you would have missed because you don't know what's coming, all that kind of juicy stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely worth a second watch. And uh, Gael mentioned to me earlier today, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a very strange timing for Fortuitous him. timing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm carrying mm-hmm. my Lebanese passport. Uh, with me i just unearthed it from like a drawer and uh Mm. it's open to the page that got stamped in cyprus when we docked Uh, we had to take a boat because like i mentioned the airport had been bombed and the date is july the 23rd 2006 which is 14 years ago almost to the day of recording so up until now as of time of recording i've lived most of my life in lebanon yeah, and barely. In a wow. couple of days, I will have crossed the threshold, and I will have yeah. been living in Canada for longer than I had been living in Lebanon for more than fourteen Whoa. years. Yeah, so it's kind of fortuitous timing. Really crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have some coincidences. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, really good timing on the recommendation, I guess. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Yeah, complete accident. I guess something good had to come from the British Foreign Office. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke for the uh, UK listeners. (laughs) All right, yeah, thank you um, so much for adding to the discussion. I figured it would be great to 
have you on because you had a yeah, lot to say about it. Me on. Yeah, sorry yeah. if I that, that made our whole yes. segment like ten times more valuable. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> With specific the, uh, insights, so. Sometimes it's good to just have someone, <laughs> you know, share their experiences and and talk for a bit anyway. It would be a waste to not have had him on to, you know, add that extra context. Though. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will think of the film differently because of it too. So mm. I hope so. Do we want to give um, ratings? Yeah, mm. yeah, sure, I'll lead us off. Um, yeah, despite that kind of reveal at the end, which threw me off a little bit, um, everything, it was the only like minor problem I had, and even then, just through talking about it and acknowledging the kind of Greek tragedy aspect of it, I mean, it's such a small thing at this point, and it just won't bother me in the future with rewatches, I'm sure, but... Yeah, overall, this was a, a solid kind of four and a half stars for me. I really liked the story that was told and my takeaway from it in the end. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Four and a half, nine out of ten. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm giving it a nine out of ten. Yeah. That's, wow. That's, that's actually, I think I'm also giving it a nine out of ten. It was Two in a row. between a nine out of ten uh, for me. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's It's a very personal story for me, so it's really difficult for me to actually take a more objective yeah. view of it so trying to keep that factor in mind i'm trying to give it like a fair score i think nine is a fair score for this film is this the first episode of the podcast where everybody has rated the same rating for the same film but two films were discussed because we also gave artemis fell oh. a one out of ten no one out of ten. Oh no so yeah we, we all said one out of <laughs> nine ten, out for out of artemis, ten. <laughs> and then we all said nine out of ten for incendie <laughs> So this might with it, there was literally zero <laughs> discrepancy in any of the ratings for wow. both films awesome. in this episode. This is also the first episode of Sardonicast where exactly half the people talking are gay furries. Uh oh. So <laughs> we're making it. We're balancing it out, guys. We're balancing things we're out. We're coming for you. Like in Artemis Fowl, they said the fairies are taking over the world. The fairies. The fairies. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. All right, yeah, let's do a uh, question time. So this is the part of the show where we head over to the Sardonicross crust. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where we head over to the Sardonicross <laughs> subreddit where there is a lovely suggestion thread where you can ask whatever you like. Um, we're going to start off with uh, this one from GingerDon14 who said, what is a classic movie that you genuinely hate? This kind of thing is asked all the time. One of the most common questions. Hmm. Well, okay. Should I just open up the IMDb top two fifty or what? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a great sure, idea. A bunch on the there. Yeah. of overrated like classics. Like, the, should be considered like... a classic, I guess. Does ET count? <laughs> I never like. I never liked ET. Yeah, yeah I, I would say ET counts. Never, counts never as a classic. Like a classic. I love ET. <laughs> Sorry, it yeah. oh doesn't do anything God. for me. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. Uh, what about like a, a, a BS kind of answer? Because it's so obvious. But like okay. Birth of a Nation. I haven't even seen yeah. it. So. Me neither. I mean, I know what it what it is. So, I mean, but but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Let's see. What do we got here? Oh god. Because I don't like a lot of these. I just feel like okay, they probably don't deserve to be on the top two hundred and fifty. But none, not a lot that I like genuinely hate. Yeah, some of these are just <laughs> also yeah, so surely recent. Surely half the too. IMDb two hundred and fifty is just like Marvel yeah. movies, you know. Like mm -hmm. superhero movies. Yeah. Oh God. I really didn't like Hacksaw Ridge. That's not really a classic, even if it's on the top two fifty. Yeah, it's not really a classic. Just scrolling through this shit. <laughs> yeah. 
Like I oh, hate I, I, I wish I hated Green Book, but I, really, I wish I, I hated hate Green Book. <laughs> I kind of do hate Green Book. <laughs> but it's definitely overrated. I guess it's, it's the so best bland. Picture you can't even forget it. Like by definition, yeah. supposed to be a classic or something, right? I don't know. Right. It does make I mean, a lot of the best picture winners, especially compared to like movies that could have won, like uh, Shakespeare in Love. I think that was the same year. It's like, was it Saving Private Ryan? Or like, you know, there's all these great movies that won best, that didn't win Best Picture. Mm, yeah. And then there's like all these other ones that deserve it. What's a classic movie that I actually hate? You'd probably hate a lot of Westerns. I mean, Why would you say that? I, I'm assuming a lot, but you haven't, how many have you seen? I haven't seen a lot. Okay. I mean, I've seen like El Topo mm. and a couple others, but there's like the, there's, there's the ones that I know I'm supposed to see that I still haven't gotten to like yet. Bad and Ugly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unforgiven but just haven't gotten around to them yet. I can't imagine you genuinely hating them. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I use the word no. hate. I'm, I live I with Adam, so <laughs> yeah. you have to trust me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Because, like, I want to say Star Wars. I just, like, I, I hate <laughs> Star Wars as a discussion, as a concept, more than I hate the individual films themselves, I guess. I hate the idea of <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I hate... There's very few movies I hate that are yeah. like that. I've never seen Shakespeare in Love, but I hate it because Saving <laughs> Private Ryan deserved to win. <laughs> yeah, whichever whichever movie like steals the best picture from a more deserved title is a good yeah. <laughs> hate option. Yeah. Inside Out. <laughs> yeah, I guess like Inside Out, I kind of hate. <laughs> But when is I hear classic, classic movies, though, I, I, I yeah, I, I kind of think older. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. Like, what's even the definition, really? Just classic movie. But yeah. a lot of classic movies tend to be very good, so. Yeah. Exactly. Which is Nothing jumps to my head. Yeah, exactly. It's rare for me to really be anti one. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, because, like, there's a lot of bad movies that are considered to be classics, but not necessarily highly rated. Like, uh,. Jim Carrey's The Mask or something, you know, like just random. That's a good point. Random movies that everybody knows and remembers because they were so big, but aren't going to show up on the top 250 or anything. That's true. I suppose that is like Space Jam's a classic. Yeah, yeah. But I don't even hate Space Jam. <laughs> I love Space Jam. Yeah, I don't either. It's my jam. Come on and slam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, classic movies almost by definition a good movie. Mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah. Almost. A Christmas Story? Would you can, Would you consider that? Christmas Story is like for a, sure I classic. Christmas I haven't seen classic. it recently enough I, don't, to know I really don't like I Christmas Story. Not, but. Yeah, I tried watching it. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's too cute for my taste, but I, it's, I thought it was unwatchable. Yep. <laughs> I shut yeah. it off like 15 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I hate that movie. Yeah, Christmas I mean, story. there's like a lot of 90s comedies that are just terrible, but are classics. Yeah, they they aged very poorly. The Nutty Professor. Liar, liar. Just things that, like, I think people have nostalgia for, but, yeah. you know, upon rewatching. Well, my, my one, if I guess, if if you count those comedies, is um, Step Brothers. A, a lot of people love that one. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah, that's considered a classic one. by somebody. <laughs> I couldn't really get really far into it. No. <laughs> man Baby, the movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> people love it, though, man. Yeah. Comedy. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I just don't. At least he's like some movies. He's a basketball player, or uh, yeah, they ran out of jobs. Doesn't he run a so casino? Job to be a yeah, they ran out of jobs, so he's just a man child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nineties comedies will be my good. answer. Let's move on to this one then. Let's do this one from High Row. Ooh, 
In the February 2019 episode about Disney and Madagascar, Adam complains about Disney censoring their old offensive content and expresses his wish that they could make the original uncut content available with a disclaimer ahead of it. Cut to one year later and Disney is doing exactly that on Disney Plus with much of their old content, and they're being widely crucified for it. I'm curious to know what Adam's and Alex's and Ralph's thoughts are on this development. Do you think that this may be a no-win situation for Disney? Who's criticizing? The, I mean, like, because what, yeah, what I, I, I don't I've know only seen like a couple them. screenshots and memes of this shit. Like the ones that I noticed people criticizing were ones that like <laughs> they had a description next to like the the recent remake of Aladdin saying like these might have cultural depictions that are <laughs> offensive to some viewers and are outdated and not fit for current Disney or whatever. It's like this movie came out like a year <laughs> yeah. or two ago. <laughs> and so like, that's, <laughs> that, that's totally with different. Disney Plus, they have been censoring a lot. So I don't think it's unreasonable to call them out as hypocrites for this because all throughout that platform, they're censoring random shit. They censored like the the logo on a hat of uh, what's that show called? Gravity Falls. Yeah, they like censored <laughs> and not even all the episodes, <laughs> and not even what? like on the yeah that, they that they like because like they were like ago. oh it looks like it could be like a Muslim symbol or something, and like just oh completely God. did that. They, there's like uh, really? uh, Daryl Hannah in like some mermaid movie or whatever the fuck it was. I've never actually seen it. And they they added CG hair, like extensions to her hair to cover her butt as she ran into the ocean. And it looks so weird <laughs> and just like just unnatural. So, I mean, uh. people want to call out Disney for not actually providing these uncensored things because they are still censoring them. I think that's totally legitimate. I don't really know yeah. where all the arguments are coming it- from, though. Yeah, because like, there, there are definitely some of their older movies that need it and you can't really edit around it because the five i i saw listed in um like an article i was reading from forbes about it was dumbo obviously mm-hmm. peter pan because of the native american stuff yeah lady and the tramp yeah, for obvious reasons <laughs> the jungle book the uh, hyena the goose stepping in the lion king um and the aristo <laughs> aristocrats cats sorry yeah because uh, of the siamese cat yeah mm-hmm. i mean there's tons but i think yeah. i think it's important to view these things as like a product of their time i think it's i think it's more offensive to claim as though these things never happened or to try and pretend yeah much as more such exactly it's like i'm sure they got history. some criticism but that's part of what comes with acknowledging these things they got criticized okay they're still around they'll be fun mm-hmm. i didn't know about like aladdin and gravity falls and any of that yeah i hadn't heard that's about actually crazy. One. yeah they've been censoring <laughs> yeah. stuff throughout their platform so they can't like have their cake and eat it too and pretend like exactly <laughs> they're not doing that just by adding a little yeah, the disclaimer messaging's very like, well, they're confusing. still doing it uh-huh. and apparently they even changed like one of the words in one of the lyrics to uh the new aladdin anyway they changed like uh ah oh, scoot was telling me about this yesterday i forget what it was like in one of the opening songs they changed like when they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. No, yeah, that that was from the original, was the original. Aladdin that got oh, controversy. Man. But in the new one, they changed the word like barbaric to savage, <laughs> and they just like didn't even savages. they didn't even make oh. it better. Savages, the savages, yeah. they must be civilized. I don't know. I just heard that, that from Scoot. So <laughs> if I don't you guys know want a really good? Uh, go to YouTube and look up the Arabic version of Arabian Nights. It is so brilliant. It's so well sang. That's mm-hmm. that's a treat. Definitely just go to YouTube oh, and look that up. It's cool. worth a listen. Just the translation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Disney's stupid. <laughs> I don't like them. That's the moral. They they deserve criticism, no matter what yeah. they do. <laughs> 
<laughs> nah. But, I mean, they should make good movies on Disney+. Plus. That's what they should do. Yeah, and don't hide your fucked up history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's do this one then from M. Knight Needs an Oscar, who says, <laughs> here's a big boy question for you. What are your thoughts on the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise and the upcoming movie? <clears throat> Get not safe for There's work if you need to. <laughs> ah. Is it like going to theaters or is it like a Netflix movie that they licensed? Or like I, this is YouTube one of those projects that's been just floating around for a yeah. while. Okay. It, okay. As we all know, it's kind, of an old, yeah, it's kind of an old subject. I've now, played it for but... like 10 minutes. Like the first one. I thought it was yeah, okay. Same. And then that was it. I think that's how it was designed to be played. <laughs> I don't know. I played the first <laughs> two of them. I didn't like beat the games or anything. I was just like, well, I guess I'm seeing what this is like. And it wasn't scary. It was just really, really annoying. It was like baby's first horror game. You know, it looks yeah. like it was created in some like ridiculously old engine. It looks like it was like a flash <laughs> yeah. game from like 2004 or some shit. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> What about the movie? How bad do you think the movie's going to be? It's not going to be good, because I mean, like, even the fans of Five Nights at Freddy's, even though I, there's nothing for me there, I know that the fans of those games are more interested in, like, the lore behind it, and, like, all the mm -hmm. crazy things you can discover, and the hidden blah, 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 what really happened at Freddy Fazbear's, or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> um, I don't yeah, think I that that's right. going to be presented that well in the movie. They're going to... They're gonna, wind up having to like over explain it pretty much which kind of takes away the mm -hmm. mystery horror like spoopy mm -hmm. elements of it so there will be a lot of jump scares i bet yeah it's not gonna be good and what are they gonna do it's like a children's property they're not gonna make anything genuinely scary about it yeah true is it it's, a children's property yeah, it's basically for kids it's a horror game for like little babies oh okay that's why it sucks. <laughs> I, was, I thought you genuinely meant it was for, made for children i mean like no it's i don't know if it was intending on being that from the beginning but it certainly is <laughs> i think they're gonna go for a pg-13 they can't make really? a g horror movie yeah that's gonna, like everybody who wants to see it is like a child though <laughs> and markiplier <laughs> <laughs> No, by now so, they'll be able to So it could be like a like Goosebumps a kind of movie, movie, I guess. Like, kind of, it's a horror movie, but it's for kids. Like, yeah. comedy kind of. Yeah. I don't know like what that. they're going to do. I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to go more hardcore with it, but we'll see. Rated R. We'll see what they do. <laughs> Not rated R, because adults don't care. <laughs> Damn. Really throwing shade at Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> Sucks. Come on, guys. It's fucking awful. <laughs> it made, like, a new game every, like, six months, too. Which like just goes to show like what's put into it. A little oversaturated, yeah. There was like a a bunch of merchandise that I saw. I saw it like stores. Yeah, you can get like uh, pop vinyls. I was like, of what them, the hell is all like this? That? Uh huh. It's like plushies of them and figures and shirts with Freddy Fazbear on it. Yeah, because people just like the like character designs and the, yeah. the monsters. What are the characters? And the Golden Freddy and all that. It's dumb. Five Nights at Freddy's. There's I don't like it. an alarming amount of Five Nights at Freddy's porn on E621. <laughs> it has a huge community. It really gets kind of in stuff. the way of my masturbatory session. <laughs> yeah, get the fuck out of here. There's so many of these fucking games. One, two, three, I know. four, five, six. Because they take nine, like 10, 10, a few months to make. Aren't there like so many characters at this point that there's like a phone game where you can like tap on sure the characters is. to? It's just like crazy the amount of content there is. Yeah, it's just so boring. It wasn't scary. It's like oh, oops, so boring. A jump scare just really wasn't earned. It was like just really manipulative, but it works. 
Like there are really easy yeah. ways to scare people and those things find their way into games and movies. It's just I don't prefer <laughs> I don't prefer things presented that way in really cheap mm -hmm. manipulative like oh it's dark. Oh look to the left, look to the right. Oh it's in front of your screen and he's just going to scream at you. Like <laughs> okay. Boo. Did you ever watch him like Markiplier doing it on the hardest difficulty <laughs> and he's been like no, training no. for like days because it's so difficult and he's just got to like flick all these switches it's hilarious to watch yeah yeah ridiculous. so are there any horror games you like that yeah there's a like, bunch the, the anti five nights at freddy's yeah i mean um mm. i love uh amnesia the dark descent was, was really really answer. good for the time yeah um, and yeah, I would love cool. to play through that again. I thought that, that it was very cleverly designed in terms of like what the mechanics were for the game and how they incorporated that into how you were scared. Uh, Soma is more of like a science fiction-y story-driven game, but it's yeah, also it's a horror game, uh, I believe from the same I people. like Outlast. I love the story of Soma. Outlast 1 mm -hmm. was fun. I don't yeah. think it has much I like much the camera thing, but... like the night vision and, and yeah, there's all some that cool really elements adds to, it, to the sure. mood a lot. I think all that's cool. Mm -hmm. There's a new one coming, I think. The Resident Evil games are pretty... I mean, some of them are going for more like goofy action, yeah. but yeah. there's the more horror-driven horror ones, one. like 7 or 2, that are yeah. like really good. The remaster mm -hmm. on 2 they made was fucking great. I really like Silent Hill 2 through 4. Silent Hill 1 is okay. also good. Everything after 4 is just garbage. PT. There is, yeah, there is an alarming Dead amount Space. of Resident Evil porn on E3. <laughs> <laughs> Stop looking it up. This is like every really kind of porn I bet. My masturbation. <laughs> if you want to coom and be scared at the same time. Yeah, see. Often, often, it, often those two do, do tend to happen in conjunction. <laughs> Prey is kind of a horror game. Kind of, like, yeah. It's like Alien. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed I like that Prey. one. Do Let's do this more. one from Angus Boyd. Yeah, Angus Boyd asks, A question for Ralph. In Hollywood high school films, there are all these types of characters, the jock, the hot blonde, etc. The teenagers also act very PG. Being from the UK, this all seems very unnatural. Is high school genuinely like this, or is it just another terrible <laughs> attempt by a multi-billionaire company trying to relate to a teenage audience? You got it. It's what teenagers should act like in school. That's basically what they push. I mean, we're not like savages, but <laughs> it's not like, I feel like that's very 80s. Like yeah. kids in the 70s and 80s were probably like that, but not so much anymore. Kids just go on their phone. They hate school. They see through it, the indoctrination center that it is. <laughs> if you want an honest depiction of what an American high school is really like, I think the best example is 13 Reasons Why Season 4. So Absolutely. <laughs> To the words yeah. right. Everyone's mouth. gay and everyone's a rapist and they're covering up crimes and right. people go crazy and uh, they yeah. Any show you can find on Netflix so captures high school. Like, it's how yeah. kids show Riverdale. Act. Everybody looks like they're thirty. <laughs> it's yes, the template. Big mouth is like a perfect Yeah, I mean like you have to understand that like especially for larger projects, these are all like older writers that are so detached from what young right. people's lives are actually like so it's very very infrequently ever going to be genuine <laughs> so it's just pure laziness but we still eat it up we still love it like the characters on riverdale are not how i think high school kids act but <laughs> like high school kids i guess really like those characters they really relate to them yeah and they want to be around. like them mm-hmm 
Yeah, because obviously I'm from the UK, so I just can't relate to any of these like American high school type settings. They always seem like absurd to me, but. I mean, you say that, but then every depiction of like UK high schools is either like Hogwarts or the Wall. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Yeah, how many examples really? Yeah, are I'm sure there? there's a range. I bet there's some schools that are really nice in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. They're probably private schools, like on the coast. Yeah, <laughs> like in California. <laughs> in in North America, we have like uh, mandatory red cups that everybody has to drink oh, out God. of in school. You got to have the red oh. plastic cups. They're they're enforced by law. Really. Yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's like apparently UK people don't do the red cup thing as much. No, School yeah, we don't. Solo really. cup. They're starting to sell mm -hmm. them now. We're just adopting all the like American culture, so mm -hmm. you can buy them now. Hell yeah! Story of my life, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, want to do one more? Yeah. Let's do this silly one then from uh, Papa Marks O Nine. If there were a movie about the life of Derek Savage in the vein of Tim Burton's Ed Wood, who would you cast as Daddy Derek? Oh, God. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Except he's dead, so I don't know. <laughs> that, would, that would be the person. That's the first person. I, that did cross my <laughs> mind, too, <laughs> if he was alive. Because he's so versatile. He would pull it off. You could yeah. do, like, Joaquin. He could pull it off. I can't think of anyone else. Joaquin like, Phoenix. Okay, he, yeah, he could do it. Ah, man, I, I, don't, I wouldn't buy Joaquin. Any, any great like, method actor could do yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. Daniel Day Lewis could do it if Daniel you really want to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like a little bit of a. Daniel belly, Day Lewis you know? is fucking Derek Savage. <laughs> uh, he comes back after years of not acting <laughs> for his yeah. magnum opus. <laughs> he leaves retirement, yeah. As Daddy Derek. <laughs> um, a Sardonicast listener actually replied to the question saying Sam Rockwell, which I thought was an interesting. Yeah. That could work. Yeah. It's a very good choice. But also Henry Winkler, too. I don't, I don't know. know kind is. of comedic Who's actor. That? Uh, Google him. You've probably seen him in like American sitcoms and stuff like that. He kind of has the look a little bit. He's got the comedic kind of chops oh, to do God. it. He looks pretty old right now. <laughs> People might know him from uh, Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you never know. I don't know. Get fucking Will Smith in there. Yeah, why not? That, that'd be a good one. <laughs> yeah, why not? Anybody. With a. Uh, Jaden playing Cool Cat. Yeah. Oh, Christ. <laughs> oh, no. What is this image? You know you know the invisible photograph? That's one of them. Now I can't... I can't unsee that. <laughs> it, would, it would be an interesting uh, film. I would love to see it. I think we need, like, a real documentary. For sure. It'll happen. Yeah. Very fascinating character. It, so yeah, much. it just needs like a, a an ending of some kind. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that. right? <laughs> Where's it going to end? What is this building yeah. up to? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tilda Swinton. Yeah. <laughs> she can do it. Why not? She can do it in her it. bravest role to date. I think we found it. <laughs> she gains a few pounds. She'd do it. Yeah, she could. I trust her. Puts a wig on, yeah, yeah. Who would direct? Oh, God. Danny Villeneuve. Hell Ooh. yeah. <laughs> give it to Villeneuve. Yeah. Yeah, to really give it that backbone. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Haneke. Yeah, you gotta get like, legendary people to be in this movie. It's yeah. gotta be the greatest movie of all time. Ooh, directed by <laughs> Gaspar Noé. Oh, that would be a trip. Ooh, wow, that, that would, would be, be intense, cool. yeah. Just turn it into something just like existentially disturbing. Really let's get, let's get, let's get <laughs> yeah. Kaufman on the screenplay. We can do yes. this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so there's a film recommendation, and it is my turn. 
Uh, we're going to be having a guest on also next episode. And so the guest kind of helped me uh, pick this movie. Both of us have not seen it, but we're both looking forward to it. I don't know if Alex or Ralph have seen it, but uh, yeah, the guest is uh, Jared Gilman, who you might know from uh, acting in Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom. And uh, the film... Is Moonrise Kingdom. No. <laughs> the film <laughs> is uh, 1991's Ricky O, The Story of Ricky. R-I-K-I-O-H colon The Story of R-I-C-K-Y, 1991. <laughs> and uh, have either of you seen it? No. No? No, I have not. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, none of us have seen it. It'll be... Uh, fresh experience for everybody and uh i've been looking forward to it haven't really looked up too much about it but i've got a vague idea of what kind of thing it's supposed to be like and uh mm -hmm. yeah hopefully it's easy to find i didn't really look that up <laughs> i don't think there's like multiple cuts or anything so uh yeah we'll uh we'll talk about that uh next episode awesome if you want to support the show uh sardonicast.com sign up for premium $2 a month will get you these episodes early as they're edited. Also, patreon.com slash sardonicast. Also, we got merch. Thank you for, for joining, Gael. Thank, Thank you for, you for providing Thank you for so much on. to the conversation. Do you have anything you'd yeah, like to awesome. plug? Twitter, uh, Twitch, anything? I'm on Twitter, people want to slide into the DMs. Mm -hmm. uh, Vexel. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's at underscore Vexel. That's How do you spell -E Vexel? V-E-X-E-L. Okay. So, uh, say hi. Plug your Twitch, maybe? Um, I guess I do stream yeah. Vexel underscore TV. I mostly stream chess, but I've been doing other games recently. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Thanks. I appreciate it. Awesome. It's, uh, yeah. it's feeding Thank time. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> had a great time. Yeah, yeah you guys time. Are, time. are doing a it's good, good service here. I'm, I'm a great admirer of yours. <laughs> oh, he listens to thanks. every episode. I, well, He's I your biggest oh, fan, I'm, both of you. Almost a fanatic, one would say. <laughs> <laughs> but I am not a stalker. Mm. <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.